Amen. Just a moment, we're going to dive into our final, final message in this series, Lies We Listen To. But before we do that, uh, I understand there's a football game today. Anybody heard about that? How many are rooting for the Chiefs? Let me hear you. How many of you are rooting for the Eagles? Let me hear you. And how many like me are rooting for the Seahawks? Let me hear you. (laughs) I just always root for the Seahawks. It really doesn't matter if they're playing or not. We had a guy in the early service who's a diehard uh, New England Patriot fan. He had his garb on, and we booed him literally out of the service. Um, but listen, uh, have fun, enjoy the game today. But I want to talk about uh, a Super Bowl season, not just a Super Bowl game. The next two months are going to be a Super Bowl season for us here at BCA, and I want to encourage you to make sure you lock in with how you can really boost your faith in some profound ways. Next week, we're going to kick off a brand new teaching series on Lent, Draw Near to God. And I want to encourage you, regardless of whether you've really thought about Lent, practiced Lent, may not be a part of your tradition. I know growing up, it really wasn't a part of mine so much. But the last 10 years, I spent uh, more and more time thinking about it. And really, it's a time that we set aside to prepare our hearts for Easter, where we focus on prayer and fasting and almsgiving. And really, to put it in a a word, we're going to spend time focusing on six spiritual disciplines over these next uh, six uh, or seven weeks and really ask God to grow our faith and, and give us a faith boost as we want to really focus on being the people he wants us to be. How many feel you pray way too much? How many feel you fast way too often? How many give way too much money away to people in need? Well, we're going to talk about how we can grow closer to God. You know, if we want to be like Jesus, we need to live the life Jesus lived and practice the things Jesus practiced. And we're going to talk about those over the next few weeks. And as Lexi mentioned, we have a, a launch of our small groups that we're going to talk about next Sunday after church at the lunch. Hope that you can stay and get involved. All of our groups are going to find a way to focus on Lent uh, over this next season. So very, very exciting. And then, of course, it wraps up with Passion Week, Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter Resurrection Sunday. It's going to be really incredible. Two things right in the middle of this Super Bowl season, if you want to put it that way, is we have our Experience Missions Week that kicks off with an extraordinary missions banquet. That's going to be on the 4th all the way through the 12th of March. We're going to talk about some incredible things, and the banquet is going to be epic. Make sure you sign up today. Hit that Connection Center. I want you to swarm the Connection Center. I want the Connection Center people to be screaming. There's way too many people trying to get their attention. You need to come as we celebrate what God has done over the last 10 years. It's going to be epic because it's going to blow you away what God has done through our global church partnerships over 10 years, and then we're going to look ahead to the next 10 years. Uh, And then also our annual Uh, uh, membership meeting is coming up on the 26th. That's really our Vision Sunday where we're going to set aside some time to really focus on great things God's doing and where he wants to take us as a church. So just a little bit of a highlight. I hope that you take time to really think about how am I going to prepare my heart for Easter and really focused on boosting my faith and being the person God wants me to be. Now today we're going to take a look at the final message in this series on lies we listen to. 
And uh, I want you just to think right now, many of you have been with us the entire series, some of you may be coming for the first time, but I want us all just to stop and think, where am I most susceptible, where am I most vulnerable to listen to lies and allow lies to get me on a hamster wheel where I just obsess over and over and over again about untruth? Where I get on a treadmill, I just running, running, spending all sorts of energy, but not getting anywhere because I'm believing half truths. I'm just overwhelmed and overcome with things that just are not true. I want you to identify where those areas are, and I want you to stop it. How many woke up right there? Stop it. Stop listening to lies. I read a survey out of the uh, University of Wisconsin. And they said that 75% of the respondents said that they told two lies per day. Well, that may not seem like a lot, but if everybody's telling lies, I mean, that's just a lot of untruth flowing around and who knows what's right and what's wrong. Lying, they said, comprised 7% of total communication. Doesn't seem like a lot. But almost 90% of all the lies were little white lies. And that's what jumped out to me. Because, you know, you tell a little white lie and another one and another one, before so long you're heading in a very wrong direction whether you're the one telling or the one listening. Why do people lie? This was interesting. 21% to avoid others, 20% as humor, 14% to protect oneself, 30% to impress, 11% to protect another person, and on and on it goes. I love these quotes. Albert Einstein said, stay away from negative people. They have a problem for every solution. How many know what I'm talking about? Boy, have I met people like that. Brutal. Marcus Aurelius, the great Roman leader, said, if never ceases to amaze me, we all love ourselves more than other people love us, but care more about their opinion of us than we care about our own opinion of us. Why are we listening to the demeaning, distracting, destructive voice of other people? We need to listen to God, and we need to encourage ourselves to move forward. The great novelist, whose name is always hard for me to pronounce, says, above all, do not lie to yourself. We lie to ourselves way too much. And then I love what Timothy Keller quoted in in his uh, uh, Twitter post, quoting the Puritan preacher Thomas Brooks. Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor, pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure, pays with pain. He promises life, pays with death. But God pays as he promises. All his payments are made in pure gold. Can you say a big amen to that? We've talked about five sources of lies. You could add to this, but Satan, self, other people, circumstances, society. You know, there's all sorts of sources that are communicating things that just really are demeaning and destructive, and we need to really kind of grab that by the scruff of the neck. We need to ask and pray, God, give me real eyes to realize the real lies. God, give me real eyes to realize the real life. Give me clarity. Help me understand truth from error. Help me, God, see and hear what you want me to see and hear. Over the course of this series, we've looked at six lies, but these are only six, and they're really meant to kind of just spur your thinking about the area where you're most vulnerable. In week number one, we talked about I am useless, and we talked about the lad with the lunch. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? He was looking for food, and there was a lad with a little bit of bread and some fish. And, and back in those days, that lad, that young fellow, would have been a zero. Nobody would have cared about him. He was not important. It was a man's world, and it was an adult world. But notice what he did. He gave what he had. He served where he could, and he obeyed when asked. 
If you want to know what I want on my tombstone, I just decided he gave, he served, he obeyed. Can you talk about a better mission statement than that? Jesus, I want to give, I want to serve, I want to obey. God, I want to give, I want to serve, I want to obey. May I be found faithful. May that be the theme of your life these next 40 days as we enter to the season of great introspection during Lent. Week number two, we talked about the lie of hopelessness. We talked about the man who was tormented in the tomb. He was bound, and and he would cut himself and scream all night long, and he'd run around whenever he could break free around the cemetery. How many want to still go to the cemetery at midnight? How many want to do that? With that guy running around? I don't think so. And there was absolutely no hope until Jesus came on the scene. You may feel hopeless today, but know this. You are never without hope because you are never without Jesus. Amen? And Jesus drove the demons from his life into the swine. They went for a swan dive into the lake. And it was such a graphic portrayal of the power of God. That man was set free. Line number three, we talked about helplessness. I feel helpless. This is when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and he found the man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus asked him, would you like to be well? And the man says, I have no one to help me into the water. Jesus said, take up your mat and walk that very day. We are never, ever helpless, even though we might feel like it. We're never helpless because we always have Jesus. You may feel powerless. You may feel like there's no way forward. There's no path out. That was the woman Jesus met at the well. He said, where's your husband? He says, I don't have one. She says, I don't have one. He says, you're right. You've been married five times, and the sixth man you're with won't even marry you. He doesn't care enough about you to take care for you and and marry you and attach his name to you. She met Jesus powerless, but she left Jesus hearing about living water, empowered and confident that there was a life to come where she would spend forever with God. She went home, and she told her townspeople, and they all came and met Jesus and committed their lives Christ. Last week, Adam preached a great message on worthlessness, and today we're going to wrap it up by talking about voicelessness, by looking at John chapter 9 and the story of the blind man, blind since birth. I am worthless. I am voiceless. Ever felt voiceless? Ever felt like nobody sees you, nobody knows you, nobody cares? I have no voice, I have no place, I have no importance, I have no significance, I have no worth, I am not respected, I'm not valued, I'm not appreciated, I'm not wanted. Listen, emotional voicelessness exists everywhere you look in our society today. People who are all alone and feel like they do not matter. Listen, while those feelings are real, those feelings are real. Some of you have those here today within sound of my voice. Those feelings matter. Your feelings matter. But I want you to know it's not factual because you have a voice because Jesus sees you. He knows you. He cares about you. And he loves you. You have greater voice than you could ever realize, even though you may not feel it. I wrote something out here. You may feel like a nobody, And that you don't matter to anybody, but you're always a somebody to the somebody, capital S, that really matters. Can I hear a big amen to that? Somebody put these beautiful words into a song. You'll make lots of money. Uh, And then let me know about it. You may feel like a nobody. Like nobody cares. You don't matter to anybody. But there's a somebody. His name is Jesus. 
You are a somebody to that somebody. And at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. I was thinking about voicelessness, and I was kind of going through a cataloging of, of a library in my mind of many, many stories of many people that I've had the privilege of walking with through seasons of great despair and difficulty in their life. And I just kind of made a list and, and, and put them in this phraseology that maybe you can identify with. People who feel voiceless. You're stuck in a troubled or emotionally abusive marriage. Worked with lots of people that have felt voiceless in that way. Your spouse has walked all over you and now out on you as if you weren't even there. Your parents are absent, abusive, or dismissive. Family of origin issues of one kind or another can leave one feeling voiceless. You are continually passed over at work and feel invisible. You are in a loveless marriage. You are continually ignored, overlooked, passed by, rejected, unappreciated. You are a senior who has been forgotten, a single mom who is all alone. And I could go on and on. Voicelessness. It breeds emptiness. It breeds aloneness. It breeds a lack of personhood. You feel more like an it than a person. Nobody cares. Nobody sees. Nobody loves. And that was the blind man that we're going to talk about in John chapter 9. But let me give you the sermon in a sentence before we dive into John chapter 9, and that is this. You may feel voiceless, but you are never, ever voiceless because Jesus always sees you, he always hears you, and he always loves you. Jeremiah tells us, I have loved you with an everlasting love. How many know everlasting is a long time? You are loved more than you feel, maybe, but you are loved. There are six questions that you need to answer to best understand that you have voice and purpose. And I want to walk through these, as many at least as I can in the time that we have. And the first one is this. It's the invisible question. The invisible, many, many people feel invisible. Do you? It says here in verse number one that Jesus went along and he saw a man from birth. He saw him. Nobody saw him. Blind people were kicked to the curb. They were shunned. And everybody avoided them at every cost except one person, Jesus. He saw him. He knew him. He cared about him. He loved him. In Bible days, being blind was a curse. There's no way to support yourself financially, so beggars were given a cloak, and that cloak kind of set them apart, marked them as beggars, and, and they literally begged for anything they possibly could get. Together with cripples, beggars, blind, lepers, they were all outcasts of society, and they were booted out of the town, and they had to live out on the outskirts. They were shamed. They were demeaned. They were minimized. They were zeros, according to the Jewish encyclopedia. Blind people were helpless. They were hopeless. They were voiceless. Invisible? Oh, they could write a book on it. How about you today? You feel a little bit like the blind man? You're not invisible. Jesus sees you. Jesus knows you. Life can be hard. It was hard for the blind man. But that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't know and Jesus doesn't care. He knows what you're going through. I want to encourage you to just take stock of the fact 
that you are not invisible to him? Answer that question now, once and for all. He sees me, he knows me. He specifically, by name, by story, he knows everything about me and cares. The second question you need to answer is a theological question. It's a question the disciples had. Look at verse 2. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents. You see, back in Bible days, if you were blind, if you were lame, if you were a leper, you know, all those kinds of things, it's because there was sin in your life. There are people that believe that today. That is theologically, categorically untrue. Bad things happen to good people. Why do some people get cancer? It's not because of sin in their life. Why are some people blind? It's not because of sin in their life. Why do people, you know, have this or have it? It's not because of sin in their life. I mean, if you get drunk and, and drive and, and run into somebody and get a DUI and you're thrown in prison, that's on you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about blind. I'm talking about cancer. I'm talking about a leper. I'm talking about disease. You've got to get it theologically squared away. So many people get off base because they don't theologically get it figured out. Even the disciples said, hey, who sinned, the man or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. Basically saying, get your theology right. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be manifest in him. And then he goes on to say, we need to work while it's day. So all of us, let's get theologically squared away and then let's get to work and help reach people for Jesus. Can I hear a big amen to that? That's the message of Christ. And so theologically, even the disciples were kind of, you know, whacked out on this. They thought for sure that there was sin as a, as a result of all that was going on. Jesus said no. Then there's the obedience question. This is great. After saying all of this, Jesus spits on the ground, made some mud with saliva, put it on the man's eyes, and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, I'm going to be standing in the pool of Siloam in about nine weeks from now. It's going to be awesome. I've been there before. You know, it was discovered in about 2004. There was a sewer line break, and, uh, you know, every time in Jerusalem when there's some kind of digging, there has to be some archaeological a person alongside the, you know, the engineers, and, and they started digging, and they found these steps. Lo and behold, it was the Pool of Siloam, and we were there in 2007, 2010 as well, and saw it, but now it's recently been excavated even more, and so what we have to see will be much larger. The Pool of Siloam dates back in the Bible to the time of Hezekiah, and of course, whenever I think of it, I think of this story right here in John chapter 9, where Jesus says to a guy, hey, him here. He spits in the ground, gross. He makes mud, gross. Puts the mud on his eyes, more gross. And then he says, go take a dip in the pool of Siloam. And the guy does it. The guy does it. The guy obeys. He does what he was told to do. I wonder how many things Jesus is asking you and me to do, but we don't obey. It's the obedience question. What is he asking you to do? What is he asking you to become? That you are stiff-arming and not obeying. I don't like saliva. I'm not really into the mud. I certainly don't want to get it wet. You know, I just got dried off. We have so many excuses. What is Jesus saying to you? Who is he asking you to reach out to? What is he asking you to become? And you continually say, I don't have time, I don't have energy. No, 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 no. It's the obedience question. 
You want to find value? You want to find purpose? It's found in Jesus, but it requires obedience. I think this is a great season for us to talk about this very thing. We're coming up on Lent, and we're going to be looking introspectively very, very carefully and very focused. And we're going to be asking ourselves, where do I need to grow and obey and become more like Christ? We're coming up on a season of missions. We're going to be invited to sacrifice to reach the needs of the world. Are we willing to obey or not? Continually here at BCA, we're inviting people to serve and get involved in using their gifts and giving of their time and talents. And what's interesting to me, this word salom has a, uh, an identifier to it that means to be sent. You know, it's part of one definition of salom, to be sent. And it's interesting to me that Jesus is the sent one. The Father sent him. And Jesus says to you and me, as the Father sent me, now I send you. And Jesus sent the blind man who had been cured out to share faith with those around him. Who is Jesus asking you and me to go to? Then there's the belief question. Lots of verses here that we don't have time to read, verses 8 through 23. But I want you just to follow the narrative here. Neighbors and friends see this guy who'd been blind since birth, and they say, hey, isn't this the guy that used to be begging and couldn't see? And they say, no way, that guy's blind and he can't see. This is someone different. This is a doppelganger. This is someone that looks like him. It's not him. It couldn't be. There's no way. No way, shape, or form. It only looks like him, it says. Verse 10, how then, they say to him, were your eyes open? He said, this man called Jesus, never heard of him, don't know who he is. This, this guy, this dude, Jesus, comes on the scene, and, and he makes some mud, and he tells me to go wash in the pool of Siloam, and so I went and washed, look at verse 11, and then all of a sudden I could see, isn't that amazing? And they're looking at him going, what are you talking about? I mean, imagine going to work, you know, on Monday and saying, man, you know, I've been blind my whole life, but now I can see. Isn't that awesome? And this is how it happened, some mud and this and that. I mean, who's going to believe that? And he's trying to make a case for what happened. They said, where is this man? He said, I don't know. And so they brought in the Pharisees. This is where the story really gets dicey and exciting for us. He comes in and says, hey, this Jesus healed me. And the first thing they say is, What? On the Sabbath? You can't do that on the Sabbath. This is the same thing that happened when we talked about the lame man who had been lame for 38 years and he was healed at the pool of Bethesda. And it happened on the Sabbath. I think Jesus did this just to get into the angst of the Pharisees. Don't you? I have this thought about Jesus that he's got a little fight and feistiness to him. He just wants to kind of mess with them a little bit. And they began to say, you can't do it because our God lives in this box. He lives in this box, and so there's no Sabbath, there's no all the other things, so that just can't happen. You know, I think about that, and I think to myself, we are so guilty of that. We have this box of who we should love and how we should think and, you know, you know who's accepted by God, and we have this box, and Jesus wants to blow the box up. And he says, I have come for everybody, and I have come to minister to everybody, the blind, the leper, and people of all walks of life. I have come to show them the way to the Father. And the Pharisees are just left totally discombobulated. And he tells a story about the mud, and he washed, and now I can see. And this man can't be from God, the Pharisees say, and how can this happen? And they ask him, well, who do you think this guy is? He says, well, he must be a prophet. I mean, who else could do this? 
And they still didn't believe it, verse 18. And so they call in the parents and say, are you sure this is your son? Yeah, we know our son. Are you sure he was blind? Uh, Yeah, we raised him since birth. If anybody knows, we know. And they continue to ask questions, pepper the parents with with questions, and the parents say after a while, ask him. He's of age. Don't drag us into this. Basically, they didn't want to get kicked out of the temple. Ask him. Ask this guy. And so they looked back at him and started to ask him, you know, how he could see and how all of this happened. You know, there's just a lot of disbelief in this story. There's only one person that believes. The Pharisees don't believe. The parents are flabbergasted. The friends, the neighbors. There's a lot of people that don't believe. But there's one person who believes, and that's the blind man. And this is the takeaway, the application for you and me. We were born spiritually blind. We were born, the Bible says, in our trespasses and sins. And then somehow, some way, we found Christ. Someone shared with us. You know, we started reading the Bible. Somehow, some way, we came to Christ. And all of a sudden, the blinders come off, and we realize we are loved. We are forgiven. We are on our way to heaven because of Jesus. We have been liberated. We were blind, but now we see. And if anybody should believe in Jesus, we should believe deeply. Amen? And if anybody should have believed back then, it was the guy who was blind, and now he can see. Of course he believed. We need to believe so deeply that it compels us to obey him so deeply. I read recently a statistic that 85% of our friends will come to church if we ask them. Now, I want to challenge you to invite someone to church this Easter season We're jumping into a season of Lent, and of course we got Easter Sunday. I want to encourage you. You believe? Then share it. And help other people come to a place to believe. Just stop and think about it. How many people and friends haven't come to church just because we haven't invited them? How many people haven't believed in Jesus just because we haven't invited them? And why don't we invite them? Is it because we don't believe? Probably not because we don't want them to be rejectous, probably. I mean, we all get that. He believed. And Jesus said, I sent you out now, help others believe. And he's wanting to send us. I want to encourage you this Easter to invite people so they can come and believe. The, fi- uh, the faith question is the fifth one. The second time it says here in verse number 24, the Pharisees invite the guy in. They hadn't gotten very far the first time. They said, come on, get, up, get back in here. It says, give glory to God by telling the truth. Now, it's good to talk about truth when we're talking about lies. And so that's a great verse right there. We know this man is a sinner, they say. You know, he doesn't fit our paradigm, so he's got to be a sinner. And, oh, by the way, you know, uh, um, you know, what you're having to say really doesn't merit any uh, followership from us. And after all of that gibberish, look at verse 25. This is one of the greatest, greatest faith statements in the entire Bible. Notice this. He says, you know, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. I don't know. Is he a sinner? Is he, I don't know. But here's one thing I know for sure. Once I was blind and now I see. 
You can't take that away from me. You can't try to confuse me. You can't try to run theological circles around me. There's a lot of things I don't know, but I've been blind since I was a baby, and now I can see you as clearly as I can see anything. I was blind, and now I see. And every one of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ can say that same thing. I was blind, spiritually speaking, and now I see. I may not understand everything about everything, about everyone, about everywhere. There may be a lot of questions that I can't speak to, but one thing I know for sure, I have been forgiven, I'm on my way to heaven, and the future is bright. The blind man. They said, we're disciples of Moses, as if that was really great. You know, there are disciples of a lot of things today as well, but the thing that matters most is to be a disciple of who? Jesus Christ. We're to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and lead like Jesus. We're to focus on Jesus. We're to become like Jesus. We're to relate to others like Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This blind guy got it. The Pharisees didn't. In fact, I love his sense of sarcasm. Look at verse 20. He said, now, isn't this just remarkable? I mean, notice the satire here. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opens eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man was not from God, he can do nothing. And they came back at him with anger and said, Get out of here, you sinner. They didn't know what, what to say. They didn't know where to go. One man had faith. You know, faith is facts over feelings. Facts over feelings. Think about this. We let our feelings lead us a lot. I see this over and over and over again. Feelings. I feel this. I feel this. It's the facts. What is the anchor truth of God's word? This blind man said, I was blind and now I see. And that is the fact. And nobody can tell me otherwise because I'm the one that experienced the God encounter. He is all powerful, is the God. He's all loving, is our God. And that's the fact. We may not always feel like we're in the top of the mountain peak. We may not always feel like everything is great. We may not always feel loved or appreciated or respected or that we have voice. But the fact is that we do. We do. The final question is the commitment question. Jesus heard they threw the man out, so he goes to find him. And he says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he says, well, who is he? And Jesus basically says, I'm standing in front of you. And the three greatest words, greatest words of confession of faith are right here in verse number 28. Lord, I believe. Have you said those words? Whether you're here in person, whether you're in the chapel, whether you're online, whether you're catching this message later in the week, have you said these words, Lord, I believe? Those are the three most important words words that you could ever utter. And I know within the sound of my voice there are those that have not yet uttered those words and I want to invite you today. Don't put it off. Don't delay. I invite you today to say, Lord, I believe. I give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to have spiritual sight. I want to have the joy of knowing I'm on my way to heaven. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe. And many of you have made that 
prayer, that confession in years gone by, but if the truth be known, you've drifted from that. You've, you, you've, you've kind of detoured and, and fallen off the, uh, off the road. And today for you, it's a prayer of recommitment. And I invite you, I encourage you, I implore you to pray the prayer, Lord, I recommit my life to you today. I want to get serious about my faith. I want to focus on Jesus. I want to become the person he wants me to be. You feel voiceless today? You need to answer the invisible question. You may feel invisible, but you are never invisible. Jesus sees you and loves you. You need to answer the theological question. Bad things happen to bad people. That's a part of this life. We live in a fallen, fallen world. Obedience, whenever Jesus asks you to do something, do it, mud and all. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to live in obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. The belief question. The blind man believed deeply. Do you? You've been healed of spiritual blindness. Believe as he believed. Faith is facts. The facts of God's goodness and God's person and God's love over however we're feeling at that moment. And then the commitment question. Have I committed or recommitted my life fully to Jesus? I invite you to bow your hearts and heads in prayer. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward. With every head bowed and every eye closed, how many would raise a hand and just say, Pastor Rob, pray for me. I'm going through a really, really hard time. The blind man was going through a hard time. I'm going through my own hard time. I need God's help. I need God's intervention. I need his encouragement. Would you just lift your hand high? I may not be able to see every hand, but Jesus can. Jesus does. And Jesus knows. He sees you, he cares about you, he loves you, and he wants to minister to you at your point of need. If you're here today and you've not committed your life to Jesus, would you do so today or recommit your life to Christ and just simply pray, Lord, come into my life, forgive me of my sins, I wanna follow you for the rest of my life. And if you are praying that prayer right now, right here, wherever you are, Take that connection card online or the one right in front of you where you're seated and just fill that out and drop it on the black box on the back wall on your way out. I want to be praying for you this week. Lord, today I'm committing or recommitting my life to you. I want to invite us all to stand all over this place. And I want us just to pray personally and individually, just a prayer of commitment, recommitment to Christ. Would you do that? And I'm going to pray a, a final prayer and and then we'll be dismissed. But I'd like to invite those that would care to to come forward. Online, we're going to have our online pastor and traditions. Our traditions pastor closed. But right here in the worship center, I want to invite you to come forward. You have a special need. You need God's help. You need God's intervention. You want to make a fresh commitment to stop believing certain lies that you've allowed to infiltrate your mind. You want to commit, make a public profession of faith and commit your life and have someone pray with you. I want to invite you to come. Lord, as we close this service, we pray your blessing upon everyone that's here. We pray your blessing, Lord, on the prayers that will take place here at this altar. We pray for the commitments that are being made personally where people are standing, seated, in their homes, in the car, wherever they're listening. We commit our all to you. We thank you for all that you've done for us, for giving us spiritual sight and insight. We have voice. Because Jesus Christ sees us, he knows us, he loves us, he cares about us. 
In your precious name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. I want to invite you, if you'd like special prayer, to come join us. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today.